You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. If you're new with this, my name's Pastor Joe, one of the leaders here. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke with me, please. Luke chapter 8, we're going to read through verses 26 through 39. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning um, with your word open in front of us. And Lord, we just admit right off the bat that we need you severely. We need you desperately. But we are completely lost and bankrupt without you in our presence. That without you here, the, the reading and the preaching, the teaching of the words in this book will just be that, mere words. We know that your word is living and it is active and it breathes. And it's like a mirror that we stand in front of. And it's like a sword that cuts deeply into the darkest places of our hearts and our minds, places that, that we don't want anybody else to see, and, and in fact, we are often afraid to go to. And so this morning, Lord, we are, we are in, in, in complete dependence upon you to bring the words of the scriptures to life. And so, Lord, we need your spirit to illuminate or shed light on the words of the text. To shed light deep within our hearts, our minds, our souls, that, that as we sit under the preaching of your word, Lord, that your spirit would do work deep within us. Lord, we need you to, to shed light and to shine into those deepest and darkest of places, maybe where there has been influence in our lives that, that is unholy and, and not good, and then that maybe steals glory from you. And so, Lord, I pray as we dive into this text, Lord God, that you would do a deep work of transformation in our church, Lord God, that you would, that you would convert and change and transform the hearts and the minds and the lives of people that hear this message. We believe that you are a miracle-working, people-changing God. And we beg you this morning to do that through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. 
For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus found the man from whom the demons had gone. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And so Jesus changes people. Jesus changes the devastating effects of sin and demonic influence and an outright, complete, stiff-arming and rejection of God. Sometimes it's easy to wonder, like, Jesus, where are you in the midst of all of this? Are you still in the business of changing people? You don't have to look very far to see the effects of sin and demonic influence and complete rejection of Christ and what he wants for our lives. Divorce statistics are at an all-time high. A bankruptcy has become the band-aid for our selfish and consumeristic lifestyles. Substance abuse and addiction, which at one time appeared to just be an underground crime issue, has now become the preferred self-medicated escape strategy of our society. Pornography. Pornography, which used to be confined to certain clubs with age limits and magazines with paper covers in, in, in gas stations, is now one of the leading money-making industries in the world today. And all you have to do is flip through your TV channels or your social media feed and be blasted with pornographic images regardless of your age. Seems like maybe there was a time when young men actually valued integrity, character, hard-working ethic, and protecting the weak. Today, many, many, many young men today live in the shadows. 
We live in the shadows, deceptively preying on one young woman after the next to fulfill their sinful fantasies of being the hero, to cover the pain of being rejected and sinned against. But I remember a time when young women valued modesty and purity, but today you don't have to search very far to find a young woman with most of her body uncovered because she's wearing clothing that years ago would have been an embarrassment to wear outside of the bedroom. Family values such as honesty, servanthood, accountability, truth-telling, and healthy, God-honoring relationships have completely eroded into individualism and selfish pursuits, stiff-arming, truth-telling friends, surface-level relationships, single-parent homes, teen pregnancy, suicide rates, violence, abuse, passivity in family leading, victim playing, sexual addiction, and a whole host of other things characterize the the season that we live in, the evil age that we live in today. And to top it all off, like when you step into this mess, when you step into all of this chaos, you run the risk of being rejected, shot at, accused of being a bigot or being judgmental, or controlling or legalistic, threatening, scary, confrontational, or just flat out wrong. Since we live in a time when good is called evil and evil is called good by people who call themselves Christians oftentimes. And but take heart, right? Take heart as we look into this text. Because into this chaos of sin and demonic influence and complete rejection of God steps the Son of God, Jesus. And he steps into this in the flesh to bring about radical change in people's lives. He steps in to break the bonds of sinful strongholds to identify this demonic influence that seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy our very lives. He steps in and puts these things to death. He takes people who once rejected him and transforms and changes them radically into people who now proclaim him and declare his works, not just with their lips, giving him lip service only, but with their entire lives. This is what Jesus does. He changes people radically. The message today, my friends, is this. If there's one thing I would love for you to go home with, stuck in your memory, is that Jesus changes people. So if you say that you're following Jesus, but your life has not been changed, You should be afraid. You 
you should be afraid. Because the evidence that you are following Jesus is that your life is simply changed. J.C. Ryle Commenting on this text, he says, Never is a man in his right mind until he is converted or in his right place till he sits by faith at the feet of Jesus or rightly clothed till he is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Real conversion is nothing else but the miraculous release of a captive the miraculous restoration of a man to his right mind, the miraculous deliverance of a soul from the devil. This quote, this quote has become my prayer for our church this week. To be honest, has most likely been my prayer for this church that Jesus is building since day one. My prayer is that Jesus would change people's lives. My prayer is that Jesus would change the chaos of sin in people's lives. My prayer is that Jesus would change the demonic influence and the evil influences in people's lives. My prayer is that God would take people who once rejected him and transform them and change them into people who are now proclaiming and declaring his glory with their entire lives. Philip Reichen says that <clears throat> the madman in the graveyard that we meet in the text, the madman in the graveyard shows the wretchedness of our condition outside of Christ. We just sang that song this morning, Amazing Grace, right? That saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. Listen, outside of Christ, outside of Christ authentically doing a work of salvation inside of your heart and inside of your life, you are completely bankrupt. You are unable to change without Christ's deeply transforming work of salvation. We are, in effect, living in the chaos of sin, attempting to cover our wickedness with fig leaves of self-effort, religion, and victimizing excuses. So what does the chaos of sin look like? Well, look back at verses 26 through 27 with me. Luke says... Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Remember, last week we studied that Jesus gets on a boat with a bunch of disciples, right? And they sailed. And they, they hit this storm. And it was crazy. Crazy. Jesus showed his miraculous power over the storm. And we learned a ton of things about what it means to just sail with Jesus throughout life as he seeks to change and transform our lives. So after the storm, they continue sailing. They get to the other side of the lake. And verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So see, here, here's the idea, guys. When, when we're living in the chaos of sin, we are clothed 
in anything other than Christ. We are not clothed in Christ when we are living in the chaos of sin. Stiff-arming, refusing, abusing, excusing, accusing. When we're living in the chaos of sin. We're not clothed in Christ. We're actually naked. Trying to cover our sinful selves with everything that we do. And then we become the people who define what repentance and following Jesus looks like. Like you can't tell me only I get to define that. We're living in the chaos of sin. We're we're lacking gospel relationships. And we're known for sinful patterns that reek of death. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, he met this man who was demon-possessed. Naked and living alone in the graveyard. This man was not clothed in Christ. He was naked. He wasn't engaged in gospel relationships. He was living in isolation. He wasn't living as a free man who was able to offer other people freedom because of the gospel freedom that was being brought into his life. He was living as a fake phony in the graveyard and he stunk like death living in the chaos of sin what is the pattern of your life what are you known for what is your reputation do people know you to be undisciplined and chaotic Are the gospel relationships that you once enjoyed, are they fractured, splintered, broken, eroding? Are you attempting to clothe yourself in religious activity just to hide your sinful patterns that aren't broken? Are you just working to shine up your old habits? Listen, guys, the good news in this text is that Jesus changes the chaos of sin. He changes it radically. He doesn't just make our patterns better. He radically replaces our patterns. Jesus doesn't just spit shine our old reputation. He totally revamps it. And he gives us a brand new reputation, which points to him. He doesn't just rearrange our undisciplined and chaotic lifestyles. He changes us into disciplined, orderly, and peaceful people. Jesus doesn't just leave us in isolation or surface-level relationships. He builds deep, authentic, gospel relationships that are focused on redemption and restoration and reconciliation. Any other focus is not a gospel-centered relationship, my friends. Jesus doesn't just get all happy because we found some new religious discipline to wear on our neck. That's a fig leaf. He breaks the bondage of our firewalking, cliff-diving activity that our sin keeps us in bondage to. 
Jesus doesn't just trim away the excess fat from our sinful habits so we can continue living in them. He totally and radically eradicates those patterns from our lives and replaces them with brand new habits. It's how some of us can say, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. It's a picture of radical and total and complete change. This is what Jesus does. Jesus changes people. But David Gooding says that unlike the Holy Spirit, unlike the Holy Spirit who always sets a man free, develops his personality, and increases his self-control and dignity, Satanic forces, on the other hand, seem to strive to overpower a man's personality and ultimately to break down his self-control and to rob him of self-respect. Listen, Satan is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. He's called the angel of light in the scriptures. He's also called a roaring lion that seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's called a schemer, which is short for someone who manipulatively and deceptively executes his plans and then blames God for it or somebody else for it instead, for the outfall. Satan is a wolf. He is a wolf who comes in sheep's clothing, attempting to lure sheep into his trap. Satan is a predator. His only game, his only end game is his own glory. He seeks to be God and most likely he believes his own rhetoric since the scriptures call him a liar and not only a liar but a father, the father of all lies. There is no truth in him. And in fact, he probably knows the scriptures better than you and I. And in fact, if he were standing here physically today, you and I might be tempted to believe that he was a Christian. Do not be deceived, my friends. Do not be deceived into one of two camps, either A, just blowing Satan off because he's not a big deal, or B, giving him far too much attention and thinking that he's behind every door. Satan is powerfully deceptive, but he's still a little kitty on a leash held by the hand of the Lion of Judah because our God is sovereign. It's the good news. He holds the keys and he holds the chain. And he holds the leash. He holds everything in his hand. And whatever Satan does, God knows about already. Sovereign. All you have to do is read the book of Job to get that picture. How do we recognize demonic influence though? How do we recognize it without either A, blowing it off or B, giving it way too much attention? Look at the text with me. Verse 28 through 33. 
Luke says this. He says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice. And let me point out something really fast that this posture cried out and fell down before him is the posture that each of us should have in our daily lives. It's a posture of submission and surrender. It's a posture of a white flag that says, I give up. I'm no longer playing this game. I give up. I'm no longer in control of my own life. I give up. I'm no longer trying to be the God of my own universe. This is the posture that we should have. He cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of God? Son of the most high God. I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon in the desert. And Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. Now, I want you to think of this word legion, this name. Legion is a lot. I'm just going to leave it there. Thousands possibly, thousands of demons possibly inside of this one man, depending upon which commentator you read. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the stink bank into the lake and drowned. Demonic influence, four things. Demonic influence causes people to, to believe that Jesus will torment them. It seizes people in their points of weakness. It drives people into deeper bondage and isolation. And it creates an atmosphere of death. Listen, the man that Jesus encountered in this story was under the influence and possessed by demons to the point and to the extent that he actually believed that Jesus was there to harm him. So he begged Jesus not to torment him. No person in their right mind actually believes that Jesus is there to harm them. Do you know how many brothers and sisters oftentimes when another brother or sister comes to them and says, hey, brother, sister, let me talk with you about the sin I've seen in your life. Oh, you, what? So what's happening deep inside of the other person is they actually believe that Jesus is coming to them in the form of a friend who means to harm them. That's not the work of Jesus in said person. It's the work of Satan. No person in their right mind believes that what Jesus wants to do is torment them unless Satan has taken control of them and has seized them at their points of weakness. We also learn from this story that demonic influence drives people into deeper bondage. Listen, demonic influence doesn't set people free to a change of lifestyle. Demonic influence continues to seize us at our points of weakness where we continue to dive headlong into more destructive behavior. And in fact, if you were to find the parallel texts to this story in Matthew and in Mark, Mark specifically, if you go there, it's almost an identical telling of this same story in Mark. 
The one difference would be this. That Mark adds this little detail. He basically says that this man was yelling and screaming all night long in the mountains and cutting himself with rocks. This picture of demonic influence in this man's life was not just that he was a naked madman running around in chaotic behavior and that he was stiff-arming and being stiff-armed and trying to be controlled by others around him so that he wouldn't harm other people. He was harming himself. It wasn't just destroying and hurting the community around him. He was hurting himself. And Jesus steps in to this story. So we learn that demonic influence drives people into deeper bondage and isolation. We read that when it says he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. When you have someone in your community who is acting deceptively, who is living sinfully, who is causing harm in other people's lives, no matter how good they look, but when they're causing harm in other people's lives and they're causing harm in their own life, our tendency is to run them out of town and to put shackles and chains on them to make them stop. Sometimes we do this through prescription drugs. Sometimes we do this through psychiatric help. And what happens is they'll continue to break those bonds. They will continue to break those chains. It's not Jesus breaking those chains though. It's Satan's demonic work inside of them breaking those chains over and over and over again. And sometimes what can appear to be good is actually evil. All of this All of this in this story culminates into an an escalated confrontation between Jesus and these demons named Legion. Where these demons are begging Jesus not to cast them into hell. But instead, after asking to be released into the pigs, they fly off a cliff creating an atmosphere of death. Many times I've watched as young, so-called professing Christian men and women dive after one cliff off of one cliff, after another, after another, after another, after another. They continued to stiff arm people, try to clothe themselves in things that look like Jesus but aren't. And every time they dive off another cliff, more of an atmosphere of death is created by their lives. And that is the reputation. That is their pattern. Someone is under the bondage of Satan. This is what you see. Man, do you find yourself fearing what Jesus asks of you? Do you find yourself fearing that what he asks of you will actually bring you harm? Like if Jesus asked you to give up that relationship that has been characterized by sin, are you afraid because it might bring you harm? You're giving in to fear. Are you afraid to give that up, what he might ask of you to give up? Because then you'll be alone? Do you find yourself in bondage to the weakest 
points of your desires, your affections, your thoughts, and your actions? Do you find yourself continuing in bondage that isolates you from healthy gospel community? Do you find yourself stuck in patterns that consistently bring about the stench of sinful death in your life? Again, the good news is that Jesus changes people. Now somebody smile. Jesus changes people. Let me say it again. Everybody's going to smile. Jesus changes people. I mean, you've got to get excited about this. Jesus can change your life. Jesus can take everything you struggled with and he can change it. Jesus can take every part of your life that you have been in bondage to and he can change it, but you must surrender. You must submit. If you don't, it's not changed your life. You are openly rejecting him. Jesus changes demonic influence. He doesn't just come to torment you. He doesn't come to torment you at all. He comes to set you free from demonic influence that has tormented you for so long. Many of you here have been hurt deeply and wounded deeply when you were young children. And from that point forward, it's been a weak place and a weak point in your life. And Satan has gotten his fingers in there and he's built up strongholds. And the outcome of that is sinful, chaotic living. And Jesus can radically change that now. If you would surrender. Jesus doesn't come to seize you at your weak points. He comes to be your strength when you are weak so that you may resist the advances of Satan and sin and the flesh. Now, Jesus doesn't come to give you more bondage and more baggage to carry around. He doesn't come to give you bondage which actually isolates you from other people. He comes to restore healthy gospel living. That is characterized by healthy gospel relationships. You don't live in gospel community because you come to a gospel community on Sunday night. You live in gospel community because the relationships in that community are healthy gospel relationships. Jesus doesn't come to just wash your clothing that stinks like sinful death. He comes to change your clothes completely so that you are characterized by a lifestyle that smells of the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus changes people. And Philip Riken in regards to people who continue to reject Jesus, says this. He says, instead of being open to consider the changes that God wants to make in their lives, they find it much easier just to send Jesus away. On the contrary, in regards to the healed man proclaiming Christ, he says, the orderly way he was behaving was a sign of the discipline that Jesus was bringing to his soul. The orderly way he was behaving 
was a sign of the discipline that Jesus was bringing to his soul. In other words, people reject Jesus when they refuse to submit and surrender to a new way of living. Well, on the contrary, people who receive and proclaim Christ behave in a completely new way, in a completely new and disciplined way. This gives evidence to the peace that Jesus brings to the storms that are raging deep within our souls. How do we know? How would we know if we were rejecting or proclaiming Christ, though? How would we know? We're so bent on giving lip service to our Savior who died on a cross for our sins. As Americans, we're so bent to giving lip service because in America, Christianity is a popular thing to do. Look at verses 34 through 37 with me. Luke says this, says, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. That all the people of the surrounding country, the garrisons, asked them to depart from him, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demon had gone begged that he might be with them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So, so we reject Jesus when we live in fear of him. We reject Jesus when we live in fear of what he wants to do in our lives. We reject Jesus when we fail to see his miraculous work. We reject Jesus when we stiff arm his presence. In our text, the herdsmen fled in fear and the people who came to see what had happened were afraid and were even seized with great fear when they saw what Jesus had done. They failed to see the goodness and the miraculous nature of the work that Jesus did so they stiff-armed him and anybody else around him and they asked him to leave. In essence, they rejected Jesus because of their fear. They were in bondage to their fear. These were the shackles and the chains that held the entire community. They were in bondage to their fear. And it caused them to completely miss the amazing work of grace that was being done right in their midst. Which then led to their hearts hardening and asking Jesus to leave them alone. So that they could go back to the way of life that he was threatening to change. We are prone to the same behavior. We're prone, we are bent towards rejecting Christ. This is the depravity of sin deep within us because of the fall of Adam and Eve. We fear that what he will ask of us is too costly, or we fear that he will reject us if we mess up. And so we reject him before he can reject us, so to speak. 
We fail to see the, the miraculous goodness of what he is doing because we are focused on our own self-interest or way of life. Heaven forbid if Jesus would do anything that may change the way we live. Heaven forbid if he took away that thing that we hold so dear to us. Heaven forbid. Like causing our prized piglets to jump off cliffs. That was the people's problem in the text. The pigs were their way of life. This is the way they lived. They could not see anything past that. Those little piglets had become their little idols. And when Jesus threatened their idolatrous way of living, they became afraid. Asked him to leave. Their hearts hardened towards him, just like ours. Our hearts become hardened towards Jesus because we really don't want to have Jesus change our affections. We don't really want him to change our thinking. We don't really want him to change our habits. We just want him to do enough to get us into heaven while still holding on to our old ways of life. Many of us would rather not cut out the eye or cut off the arm that causes us to sin because we are deceived. We're deceived into thinking that we can drag our sinfulness into heaven. But the problem in all of this for us is that Jesus says it is better to enter heaven without the eye or without the arm rather than to go to hell in one piece. The reason Jesus says such radical things is because he wants to radically change our entire lives. He wants to radically change our entire lives to the point that we are now living completely surrendered and completely proclaiming his works in all of our words and all of our deeds. He wants to change our life. Jesus changes people. What does it look like to move from a person who has been rejecting Christ to becoming a person who proclaims and has received and has surrendered to Christ? And we proclaim Jesus when we experience radical change. We proclaim Jesus when we desire to be with him. We proclaim Jesus when we declare the work that he does. Listen, in the entire crowd that was present in this story, in this text, in everyone that was there, only one person was changed. Only one person was changed. It may not be the best ministry report to turn in at the end of the day. I just see it, right? Hey, boss man, um, you know that, that island over there? I took the boat with the ministry team, and we went through this storm, and the ministry team learned some things that was kind of cool. We got to their side, and there was this really whack, crazy, demon-possessed man running around naked, kind of being crazy through this community, been keeping him in chains. I mean, it was like low-hanging fruit, dude. Like, thank you for funding my ministry so I could do this. But one weird thing happened. Like, the only guy that changed was the guy that was running around naked. The rest of them rejected me completely. Will you still fund my ministry? <laughs> Can you imagine that ministry report? That's the beauty of Jesus in this story. He actually travels this great distance through a storm on a boat while teaching his disciples life lessons about the gospel so that he can set one man free. 
And the outcome is that this man begs Jesus to join his crew. And he winds up following Jesus' instructions to go everywhere, declaring the work of God that he had experienced. Jesus changes people. There are some of you sitting here this morning that you have the face on. You have the look. You showed up early. Maybe you brought your big Bible. You're in gospel communities. But your lifestyle hasn't changed because all of this is just a religious covering. Jesus can change that. Jesus took this one madman, this one madman who once rejected him due to his fear. He was afraid that Jesus was actually going to torment him. He was running around naked, terrorizing the community, injuring himself over and over and over again. Jesus took him and changed him. And he changed him into a disciplined and clothed person who desired to be with Jesus and then went about proclaiming Christ to all that would hear. Jesus changes people. Has Jesus changed you today? Are you ready to let him change you today? Are you willing to quit rejecting him today? I'm going to invite our musicians forward. And as they come, I want us to remember the first quote that I opened with. The quote that I opened with this morning from J.C. Ryle before we dove into the text said this. J.C. Ryle said, Never is a man in his right mind till he is converted or in his right place till he sits by faith at the feet of Jesus or rightly clothed till he has put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Real conversion is nothing else but the miraculous release of a captive, the miraculous restoration of a man to his right mind, the miraculous deliverance of a soul from the devil. Are you living in fear? Jesus changes people. Are you still bouncing from one relationship to the next? Jesus changes people. Are you still giving into the temptation of addictions to sexual sin or substance abuse? Guess what? Jesus changes people. Is your life characterized by undisciplined and sinful behavior? Jesus changes people. Are you holding on to your lifestyle patterns because you're afraid of what will happen without them? Jesus changes people. Has Jesus changed you today? Are you ready to let him change you? Are you willing to quit rejecting him? Jesus changes people. He changes the chaos of the sin in your life. He changes the influence of demonic oppression in your life. He changes your rejection 
to reception so that you can proclaim him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he can change you because Jesus changes people. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word today. I know that there are many in this room who need to be changed by you. Only you can change us. So, Father, over the next few moments, I pray, God, that you would bring those forward who desire change and that they would receive you and your work in their lives. But I pray that you would cause true repentance to happen. I pray that you would cause true change to happen in our church family. In Jesus' name, everybody said. I want to invite you to stand with us as we close in worship. There will be a few of us in the front ready to pray with you. If you have needs, we'd like to pray with you. Thanks for letting me preach this morning. I love you guys a ton. Audio message from the well. A gospel centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.